2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cornelius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there is no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made Known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at it, at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by, by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. <clears throat> and when the time came for the purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the the man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to, to do for him according to the custom of the Lord, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For, your eye, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to, the, to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said to them, what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed 
for in the sign for those opposed, and a sword will pierce, pierce through your own soul also, so that your so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that you would be with us this morning, God, that you would be, uh, yeah, you would keep us awake, alert, attentive to your word, God, that you would make your, your name great in this room this morning, God, that you, um, yeah, would just reveal yourself through your scripture, through the preaching um, of Samuel to us this morning, God. I pray for Samuel, um, God, just that you would reward him for his time and effort spent preparing to preach this morning, God, that you would give him um, just a clear thought um, and a clear line of, of reasoning, God, that you would fill him with your spirit and let him preach your word boldly this morning. And um, we pray these things in your name. Amen. And thank you, brother. Appreciate that prayer. Amen. So good to see all you here today. I was sharing with the the guys in pre-service prayer that in years past, with so many of us uh, out and about traveling for the holidays, there would be uh, wouldn't be very many people present on the Sunday before Christmas, and so it's just neat to see the way the church has grown and the visitors that are here today. And so we're so thankful to have all of you here today to so that we can have this service with quite a few of us gathering. It's encouraging. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a wonderful time of year and. And a time where we all reflect on Christmas and the true meaning of the season. And yeah, I was um, maybe a little caught off guard this, this week when I was uh, preparing for the sermon in Luke chapter 2. And this is one of my favorite uh, stories in Luke 2. But um, maybe caught a little bit off guard by the, just the weight of it. And the... Uh, and, and the, some of the striking features about this, this passage. And so, um, speaking of the weight of this passage, I, I came across a quote this week that was tied into um, the way I was feeling as I was studying. And the, and the quote was from a, a pastor named uh, Robert Murray McShane. And he was a Scottish preacher during the, I believe, the 1700s. And he was, uh, he died very young, but he had a, uh, a ministry of about seven years in the pulpit. And God blessed him tremendously. And so, anyhow, this is one thing that he would, he would tell his uh, church um, when his life was nearing the end. He said, changes are coming. Every eye before me shall soon be dim in death. Another pastor shall feed this flock. Another singer lead the psalm or the hymns. And another flock shall fill this fold. So there was a sense of urgency in his life and his ministry. 
And I love the Christmas season to a fault. But we do need to remember the reason that Jesus came and the humble circumstances in which he came. Chapter 2 in Luke, we see that, that Jesus was born and laid in a manger. I don't, I, again, in our culture, we've kind of made this, this, this warm picture, this nativity scene, and we put it on the front lawns, you know, in, in our homes, and, and, um, and it just kind of brings this warm feeling. But if you think about the circumstances, those are really stressful, hard circumstances. Um, a woman who's on an out-of-town trip away from her hometown and no family around. There's no place where she can have the baby indoors, so she goes to a place where the, the animals would stay. And she gives birth to her firstborn son. It's really stressful, hard situation and very humbling for our king for the Lord God himself, not to be born in a temple or a palace where he deserved to be born, but instead born outside with the animals and laid in a place where the animals would be fed. It's, it's just, there's meaning there. There's purpose there. And again, I think in the, in the emotion of this season and this time, we can be caught up in those things and really lose sight of what God is doing in the story and why. So when we read the Christmas story in the Bible and understand the implications, we see that Christmas really should be more about making us uncomfortable and preparing for preparing us for a day when we will stand before a holy judge. Um, as a pastor, it's my responsibility to make sure that each sheep in our church is ready to stand before the Lord. On that day, God will reveal the secrets of our hearts and many will rise or fall depending on what he finds inside of us. I'll say that again. There's a day coming when God will reveal the secrets of our hearts and many will rise and fall depending on what he finds inside us. And this brings us to our text today and in, in, in the, the, the parts of the story that we saw that were read. We, we see chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, where Jesus was born. And we see his parents traveling from Nazareth to Judea to a city of David, which is called Bethlehem. About, a, about an 80-mile trip they make right before uh, Mary is going to have a baby. In, in the next scene that was read for us, we, we see that uh, the shepherds were visited by an angel who proclaimed to them that the son of David had been born in the city of David. And then suddenly the, the sky exploded <laughs> with uh, a, a heavenly host of angels. I mean, this is an amazing scene, Right. I mean, you can imagine these shepherds one minute, they're just out there and it's pitch black and they're, you know, the stars at night are big and bright. And, the, you know, the, they're maybe sitting around their, their sheep and keeping watch over their flocks. And the next minute, you know, a, an angel appears and not just one, but a, 
A multitude of the heavenly hosts. I mean, the sky bursts into flames with these angels. And these guys are just floored, right? I mean, it's an amazing scene. And I just love it. It's almost humorous that God would do this. That God would announce the coming of his son to these really humble guys out in the field. I mean, it's just just like God. Just like God. Just like God to do the most amazing things in the most humble places in the most humble ways. So much like our God. But then we come to this, this third scene where Jesus is presented at the temple. And I do want us to focus in here uh, for a minute because this is where I, I really begin to sense the weight and the gravity of what Christmas is all about. And in this third scene, there is a man named Simeon. And in verse 25, it says, that he is from Jerusalem. You can look in your Bibles with me, if you will. Okay, let's study together. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he comes into the temple and then he takes the baby up in his arms and, and, he, and, he, and he says this um, amazing series of things, beginning in verse 29. Now, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Who is this? Who is this child? What is this salvation that he's talking about? He says in verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I'll give you a minute to look back at what Simeon said there, especially in verse uh, 34. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Why? Why is this child appointed? So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Do you know what, do you know what all that means? Do you know what he's saying there? Do you understand the significance and the weight of that? I was reading through the Christmas story this week with my, my kids, the, the same exact verses we read together in family worship. And we got to that part and my son asked me, he goes, what does that mean? <laughs> what do those verses mean? And I, I, just, I, I just sat there in silence for a few minutes and I, I thought and I thought and I, I, I was like, you know, son, I, I, I don't know if I can give you a good explanation of that. It is appointed, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So this is, 
this is what I want to really dig into today. And, and we're going to look back through the whole passage. Because what I believe the, that Simeon is saying here about Jesus is that, that Jesus is going to reveal the hearts of men. And he's going to judge not only Israel, but in, in the future, he's going to judge all mankind. And we must be ready for that judgment. So it says here that that the child is appointed for, the, for two things. I want to study this for a few minutes here. The child is appointed for two things. For the fall and rising of many in Israel. So that's a picture of judgment. The child is appointed to raise people up or to bring people down. To raise people up or to bring people down. That is a sign of judgment or a picture of judgment. He is also, it says there, a sign that is opposed. The Greek word there literally means that he's spoken against or he's argued with or he's refuted or he's contradicted. So he's, he's coming to judge, but he's going to be opposed. He's going to be contradicted. He's, people are going to push back against it. People are going to reject this child. He's a sign. What does it mean that the child is appointed to be a sign? Well, a sign is something that's unusual, that has special significance or meaning, right? For instance, in verse 12, look back at verse 12. What did the angel tell the shepherd? The shepherds, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. See, that's an unusual thing to see. It's an unusual sight and it has special meaning. So when Jesus is appointed to be a sign that is spoken against, Jesus is a messenger. He is a prophet. Of course, he's not just a human prophet. He is divine. Look at what it says back in verse 11. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior, a rescuer. He's going to be a rescuer who is Christ the Lord. So he's, he's not only a human being, a human baby, a, a, a normal person like you and me. He is Christ the Lord. He is God. Made flesh. And that's a very unusual thing, isn't it? It's a very special event. And that's why it says back in verse 34, the child is appointed for a sign. He is a prophet. He is a special messenger of God. A sign that will be refuted or contradicted or argued with. 
and rejected. He will bring a message to God's people, but God's people were not going to receive that. He is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Back in verse 32, he's a light for revelation to the Gentiles. He's going to bring salvation not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles or the nations. And for glory to your people, Israel. But many of the people of Israel did not see the glory of God that was hidden in flesh. And so they would oppose him. And what is the foreshadowing that it's talking about in verse 35? What is the foreshadowing? Behold, Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. This sign is going to be opposed. It's going to be rejected. Your child is going to be put to death. And this sword will pierce through your own soul. The grief that will transpire because this baby will not go on to uh, live and be an old man and, and, and be, a, be a, a prophet or a king that was accepted in the time of his coming. And so this sword was going to pierce through her own soul also. And why would these things happen? So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So why is it important for God to reveal the hearts of man? Follow the, follow the logic here, brothers and sisters. I, I, stay with me. Verse 34 says, he is appointed. Verse 35 says, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So Jesus was appointed. Jesus was sent on a mission to come into this world so that people's hearts would be revealed or brought out into the open, or exposed. So why is it important for God to appoint his son to this task? He has a good reason. And let us say, first of all, that this is something that only God can do. Only God knows the hearts of man. Only God knows the hearts of every single one of us in this room. Only God knew the hearts of all of the people living in Israel at that time. And Jesus came on a mission to reveal those hearts and to expose them and bring them into the open. The picture we see is that God sent his son down to find out who is faithful and who is not. He sent his son down to preach the good news that before God judges the world again at the end of time, there is an opportunity to be reconciled to God and to live a holy life and to live in fellowship with God. That is the good news that Jesus came. He also came preaching repentance that we can't continue on in our sinful ways. There has to be a change of heart. There has to be a turning point in our lives. He came to raise up the humble. He came to bring the mighty down from their thrones. He came to find out who is drawn to the word of God, who repents and who doesn't. He came to reveal the true nature of our hearts and to judge accordingly. 
Now, before I move on, I, I, I want to make sure that that's all very clear from the text, that you see that in the Bible, that he was appointed for the rise, for the fall. That is separating, sorting people out, raising people up, bringing the mighty down, humbling the proud. He's appointed for judgment. He was also appointed to be judged and to be rejected. And he's appointed so that our hearts might be revealed. Do we love God or do we not? That's what Jesus came to do. Reveal our hearts. Do we love God? Do we not? So again, this statement, I I trust, has been built on Scripture and that you see it clearly that Jesus came to reveal the true nature of our hearts and to judge accordingly. And brothers and sisters, he's coming again to finish the work that he started. And are you ready? Are you ready for him to come? If you die today, are you ready to stand before a holy and righteous judge who has promised to punish people who do not submit their lives to him and live for him? And he's also promised to bless and reward those who do. That's, that's encouraging. So are we ready for the judgment? And what I want to do from this point on is, is just draw out four principles from Luke chapter 2 that we read today. Four principles that will help us to see whether or not we are ready. To see whether or not we are ready. <clears throat> And I I trust that that these will be uh, soul-searching questions and principles that we talk about. So number one, do you believe the gospel message? If you're going to be ready for Jesus to return and to reveal the thoughts of man, to reveal your thoughts, to reveal your heart, to expose you for who you truly are, and to judge you accordingly, if you're going to be ready for that, You must first and foremost believe the gospel. So in the story, there is great foreshadowing that Jesus is the Passover lamb who was sacrificed for your sins. Do you believe this? And do you see this, that in this passage, there is foreshadowing that Jesus is the Passover lamb? First of all, in verse 7, it says that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. Now, we know that God is in control of all things, but for some reason, he wanted his son to be born and laid in a manger, born in this humble way, in this humble place. And who was it that God announced The, the coming of his son. It says in, in, in verse eight, there were shepherds in that same region out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, what region were they in at this point? So they're in the region of, of Bethlehem, which is about five miles from Jerusalem. And Bethlehem was, was known for the, the, the sheep industry that was, was in, in Bethlehem. 
because the, it was very close within five miles of Jerusalem. And so Bethlehem is where they would raise the, the Passover lambs. And so in the same region where the shepherds were out in the field taking care of the Passover lambs, raising up the Passover lambs, keeping watch over these flocks by night, the angel of the Lord appears to them and the glory of the Lord shines. So it's not just angels. It's God's glory, God's presence. Did you catch that? As I read the story over and over again, there, there are so many little details that I just fly over. And I think, oh, I've heard this story for years. But I, that was something that just hit me this week. It wasn't just the angels. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. God himself brings his army of angels to make this announcement. And how do they respond? Just like you would. <laughs> They were filled with great fear. It wasn't just the angels. It was the very presence of almighty God. And they were terrified. We think about the day when we will stand before a holy judge. What will that be like? We can see a glimpse of it here with the shepherds. They were filled with awe. They were filled with fear. But the angel says, fear not. I'm not bringing a message of judgment, in other words. I'm not going to punish you. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign. See, Jesus being laid in a manger was a special birth. It was meant to be a sign specifically to these shepherds who raised Passover lambs. And where did they find uh, Jesus? Lying in the manger where they, would, where they would presumably keep their flocks when they would go back into the city. And they go into the stable and they see Jesus lying in a manger. They see the Passover lamb lying in the manger. Further down in verse 22, it says, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now, if you go back sometime on your own this week and you can read Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. And that's where this law was first given to the people of Israel. And the purpose of this law was to remind them of the Passover. When God delivered his people from Egypt. And you remember the last uh, of the plagues was the death of the firstborn. And that's what this law was to remind the people about. It was written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Because God did not spare the firstborn of Egypt, but he spared the firstborn of his people. And so he gave them this law to remind them 
Every time you have a firstborn son, you will devote him to the Lord. That is to remind you that God saved you out of Egypt. That is to remind you of the Passover lamb that was sacrificed so that your son could be saved. And then further on, we see that in verse 34, this child's appointed for the fall and rising. He's a sign that will be opposed and a, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. This child will be a sacrifice. He is the Passover lamb who would be sacrificed for the sin of the nation and for the sin of the entire world. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb that God sent into the world to save you from the penalty of your sin? Are you hearing that for the first time? Have you heard that all of your life, but there's never been a change of heart toward God because of the sacrifice that he made? He made the sacrifice for you unto you, you, you. This day is born in the city of David, a savior who is Christ. That is the Messiah, the promised one that the prophets have been talking about from from the years long ago. And he's finally here. God didn't forget you. He's not going to leave you in the darkness. He's not going to leave you in the chains of sin and death. He came to break the cycle. He came to rescue you. Wow. He did that for me. As I was writing Christmas cards to my family this week, you know, and to friends, you know, we send out Christmas cards, right, to a lot of our friends and family members. We don't know where they stand with the Lord, but Christmas cards, that's your chance to preach the gospel to your family, right? And I was telling them about this verse. I was like, unto you, this day is born in the city of David. Unto you. Do you believe this good news? Unto Samuel Nelson is born this day. Unto Angie is born. Unto Matthew Unto Faithy, unto Joy, unto Willow, unto Bella, unto the Gentiles, unto the Jews, this day is born. He is the Passover Lamb. There's just foreshadowing in this passage, I believe. It's reminding us of the Passover. It's reminding us of who Jesus is. And there's foreshadowing to say that, yes, He was born. This is a glorious celebration. Isn't that just the way that Luke writes this all? This triumphant Celebration with the angels and the glory of God appearing to these humble shepherds in this field. It goes from that down to the scene of just like this. It's like this foreboding, like foreshadowing. This this darkness is coming. The light has come into the world. But there is suffering that's coming for this this baby. I mean, do you have a testimony of, of just salvation when you were born again and saved? We uh, at, at Central Baptist Church, uh, the, the first article of our church covenant says this. Do you understand and believe the gospel message that Jesus Christ, God's only son, was sent into the world by God the Father to be a sacrifice for your sins? And upon repenting of your sins and trusting in Christ alone to save you from the penalty of your sin, 
Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit and become a new creation? That's Article 1 of the Church Covenant. If you're going to be a member of the church, you've got to believe the gospel. That is the good news. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Let's be explicitly clear about that today. Good news of great joy. If we're going to be ready for Jesus to reveal the secrets of our hearts on the great and final day, if we're going to be ready, we must believe in the gospel message. Number two. You say you believe in the gospel. You say he saved me from God's wrath and God's judgment. He, he's, he's set me free and I have no fear of death. But are you trusting him when the details and circumstances of life don't make any sense at all from your human perspective? So you trust him with the big things, but do you trust him with the details when you're in the fire, when you're in the midst of the trials? I think all along the way here, we're, we're, we're seeing God reveal people's hearts, even in these stories here. We see God revealing the heart of Mary and Joseph. They were faithful. They trusted God. We see God revealing um, the, the shepherds' hearts. They are, they are overjoyed. They are proclaiming what they heard about this child. We see God revealing Simeon's heart, that, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. We see God revealing Anna's heart, that she was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Faithfulness. But are we trusting him with the details and the circumstances of life and the daily trials? <clears throat> it says in verse one, chapter two, verse one, in those days, uh, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first census or the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all had to go. All went to be registered, each to his own town. So this is the emperor of Rome commanding his entire dominion to be counted, to go to his hometown and be registered. And Joseph, in verse 4, also went up from Galilee, from Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he is of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And... While they were there, the time came. I love how it says that. While they were there, the time came. Just the, t the timing of that. While they're away from home, while they're out of town, and this inconvenient journey. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in the manger, because there's no place in the inn. So they're on this journey far from home. They're in these, I mean, this, these painful circumstances of childbirth. And there's no place for her to give birth. I mean, do we take that for granted or do we want to sit with that for a minute and just feel the stress of that? Yeah. 
it's stressful when you're about to have a baby, especially if you're on your way to the hospital and, and the time is drawing near. <laughs> this is, these are stressful circumstances. And I can see from Mary and Joseph's perspective, those could have been really difficult circumstances to rest in the Lord. Where is the Lord? Why, are we have, why did we have to go on this journey? Well, there's a reason you had to go on this journey, because the prophecy said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Without the, the decree of the emperor, there's really no earthly reason for Mary and Joseph to make this 70-mile trip to go to Bethlehem to have this baby. I don't know if it was on their radar. Hey, we have to make this trip so we can fulfill the prophecy. No, but this is on God's mind. He's God's in control of the Roman emperor. He's like, you need to control. You need to tell everybody to go back to their hometown right now. Because I've got this little couple here. And and the, the, the wife of the betrothed has conceived by the Holy Spirit. And I've got to make sure that she makes it to Bethlehem because there's this prophecy that's going to be fulfilled. See, God's in control of the details from the top down. <laughs> See, from Mary and Joseph's perspective, it's like, where is God? This, is, this, this seems so out of control. <laughs> Come on, Lord. I mean, I, mean it, I know you care about me. I, I, we know you love us, but... There's nowhere for us to even have this baby. Did you not think through the details here, Lord? Yeah, I thought about the details. In fact, I had the Roman emperor make a commandment so that you would get on your donkey or whatever it is and make the trip so that my prophecy, my word could be fulfilled. And actually, I do want your son lying in a manger because that's going to be a sign for the shepherds to come and see the Passover lamb who was born. God's in control. But I want to know if you trust him. It's, it's hard to trust God. It's hard to trust his timing. Again, I made an allusion to the timing there in verse 6. While they were there, the time came. You see God's timing there. What about Simeon? Did you notice the timing of that miracle? Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he seen the Lord's Christ. Verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child of Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. You see the timing of that. Look at the timing of that connection. God made sure that this man who was led by the Holy Spirit came to the temple at the exact time that Mary and Joseph were bringing Jesus in to be circumcised. And God arranged that meeting. What about Anna? Verse 36, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, which basically means that this lady was really a nobody. She's from one of the smallest tribes. She's not a, a prominent, important person in the world's eyes. She's advancing here. She's old. She'd experienced tragedy in her life, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. 
And then as a widow, her husband died when she was really young. Now she's 84. Marginalized. Insignificant from the world's eyes. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. God brought her. She was faithful to pray and fast and seek the Lord, and God brought her to the Son. See the timing of that. There are just timing miracles in this story. You know, I love going out and doing weekly evangelism in the neighborhood. And what I've said to people over and over again, that the, the most common miracle that I see when you go out to evangelize is the miracle of timing. These divine appointments. God is in control. He is sovereign. He is trustworthy. He redeems our suffering. We need to hear these things, be reminded of these things. We need to see these things in the Bible and be comforted by these things. God is in control. God has a plan. God's plans cannot be overcome. But are we trusting him in the trials? Do you see the trial that Mary and Joseph found themselves in here? God was putting their faith to the test. He was revealing their hearts. And God was in control. And he showed that. I love the resolution here. Verse 15. The angels went away from them, the shepherds. And the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they opened their mouths, right? They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child in all who heard it. Mary, Joseph, and anybody else who had gathered around the manger at that point. That's the implication that Mary and Joseph had this baby and then suddenly people were like, what's going on out there? There's a baby who was born. So all who heard it, they made known the same. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But look at verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her hearts, in, in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told. them. So after the trial, after the, the, the stress of the moment and that situation was over, God sends these shepherds to, to reassure Mary and Joseph. Like, no, God's in control. God is here. <laughs> he came to us in the fields and he brought us here to even see this child. So, you see how God could have been comforting them at that point. So to be ready for the, the day that we stand before the Lord, we must believe the gospel and we must trust him in the, in the midst of the trials. And we see in this text that God is faithful and that he is sovereign, that he is in control, that he has a plan. And we can be trusting him. Thirdly, we want to 
assess whether or not we are proclaiming Christ. How do you know if you're ready to stand before God? Are you being faithful in proclamation? Faithful in proclamation. There is a theme of proclamation in this chapter. Look at verse 10. The angel said to them, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Verse 13. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So there's proclaiming the good news that Jesus has been born. What about 25 through 32? Remember what Simeon said. This child is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then we see Anna in verses 36 through 38. Especially verse 38. Look at that with me. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. So she, a redemption of Jerusalem. So she sees the child and then she begins to spread the message. Do you see the pattern? They see the child, they spread the message. You see and you spread. Are you faithful? Are you seeking Christ eagerly and telling others about what you see? You know, I saw a, a, a really uh, wonderful example of this yesterday. Uh, we had a surprise birthday party for Miss Angie. And, um, and Miss Angie's family was gathered around there. And her friends. And, and some believe. And we, we don't know about the others. But God gave her an opportunity to spread the message and to be faithful in proclamation. And she came right to Luke chapter two and she talked about the Christmas season. And she read these same verses that this is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And she proclaimed that, that Jesus came to reconcile us to God. And she gave everyone an opportunity to, to hear and to believe the good news. Are we being faithful to proclaim with the opportunities he's given us? I love the theme that we see in proclamation in this chapter. The, the, fourth, the fourth piece here that will help us in, in preparing to stand before the Lord is repentance. Repentance, especially of pride in our lives. Repentance of pride. In verse 34, Simeon talked about Jesus being a sign that is opposed. Why did people oppose the sign of God? When God sent a sign into the world. When God sent a messenger, why did people oppose it? Because of our pride. Why did they reject him and nail him to the tree? Because of their pride.
I have a, just a series of questions here to ask us today, church, to help us think about whether or not there is pride in our hearts. And I, and I don't know about each one of you, but I know that this has been a, uh, a discouraging week for me when it comes to God pointing out my pride. And so this has been something heavy on my heart. And so here's a, a list of questions to help us think about whether or not there is, is pride in us that we need to repent of. First of all, do you get mad about Trials. Do you throw your hands up when you're in the midst of a trial and protest God's sovereignty? Again, thinking back to Mary and Joseph, they're in a really difficult, hard situation. There are two ways that we can respond in those situations. We can trust God. We can pray. We can ask for our help, for his help. We can humble ourselves and say, we are not going to make it without your grace and your strength and your power. Please, God. Or... We can get angry. We can get upset. We can walk away. We can, we can quit. Secondly, do you get mad when people ask you to do things? That's a sign of pride in our hearts. Whether it's something hard or oftentimes could be something very easy. Last night when, uh, when Joy was um, practicing music, she couldn't remember how one of the songs went. And so she, was, she asked me, hey, Samuel, could you remind me how this, this song goes? And, and I was eating dinner at the time. And so right in that moment when she asked me to do something, I just felt that resistance in my heart. Like, I don't want to do that. And again, I was just convicted by the Holy Spirit. Like, what is my Problem. What is my constant problem? It is my pride. I don't want to serve someone. I don't want to be available. Do you get mad when someone asks you not to do something? Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Don't do that. Does that make you angry that they that people step in? It says here that Jesus was a sign that is opposed. Why? Because he called people to repentance. It says in John's gospel that, that people uh, opposed Jesus and rejected him because they did not want to come into the light. He was calling them, come into the light, repent, be restored into fellowship with God. But they loved their darkness more than the light. They didn't want to be told to stop doing what they enjoyed doing. And so they opposed the sign. It can be true for us when, we're, when we see things in Scripture that we're not supposed to be doing. When we're confronted by a brother or a sister about something that we said or something that we did that we ought not to have said or done. Do we get angry about that? Or do we humble ourselves and say, you know what, I needed that. You know, that confrontation, it revealed my heart and my heart is not right towards God. Do you get mad when you don't get your way? 
We see this oftentimes in young children, right? They don't get their way, so what do they do? They throw a fit. It amazes me that as an adult, I'm the exact same way. I have more self-control by the grace of God, but my flesh is the exact same way as it was when I was two years old. It wants what it wants, when it wants it, and when it doesn't get what it wants, it throws, it fit, and it just begins to, I start to get angry and upset. It's a sign of pride trying to take over. I'm not getting what I want. I wonder if Mary and Joseph wanted a, a hospital where Jesus could be born. <laughs> I wonder if they were battling with their own will that night in the way that they would have written the story if that pin was in their hand. We don't get to write the story. We don't get to control people's responses. We don't get to dictate our circumstances. And how often God has to remind us, you are not in control. (laughs) But I am, and that's all you need to know. You don't have to like your circumstances. You just have to trust that I'm good, that I'm God, that I'm in control, and that I am for you. But you get mad when you don't get your way. And oftentimes God's just reminding you, you're, it's not your call. You're not God. You're not in control. He is. But it reveals our hearts, doesn't it? A few more of these questions. Do you get mad when people disrespect you? Jesus was a sign that was opposed. He was argued with. He was contradicted. He was often disrespected. But how did he reply? With grace, with forgiveness, with patience. What about us? And why do we get so mad when people disrespect us? Why do we have such a high opinion of ourselves? They should not treat me like that, we think. Well, if we're really being humble and we believe the gospel, we realize that we shouldn't be treated good at all. We don't deserve to be treated well or right, or good. We really don't deserve to be in this room breathing the air right now and and enjoying Christmas Eve and all these things. That's not what we deserve. So the gospel always helps us to remember when we are offended and when we have been disrespected that we don't, we don't deserve to be treated any better in the first place. So we can be humble, so we can be forgiving. But it is a sign of pride when we are easily offended. When people step on our toes and we yell out in pain and we want to be paid back for that. Do you, stop, do you stop short of preaching the gospel because you don't want people to think ill of you? How often do we close our mouths? I mean, there's a theme of proclamation here. If this is good news, why are we holding back sharing this news? But we often stop short of proclaiming the truth because we are afraid of what people think. Why do we care so much what people think about us? That's pride. 
That's our pride once again. Parents, do we mistreat our children because we don't have much respect for them in the first place? You know, it's funny, funny the things that we'll, we'll let people get away with. Like when we, when we have people in our homes, we have guests in our homes and we give them a lot of grace. But when our own children do uh, the, the same kinds of things that bother us, that maybe our company does, we're instantly offended by our children. Why? Because we don't have a high level of respect for our children. Why? Because we're looking down on our children. Why? Because our hearts are proud. Husbands, do you look down on your wife and mistreat them for any reason? Wives, do you have a lack of respect for your husband because he's unworthy to receive it? Wives, if that's your train of thought, you've become a judge of your husband. That's once again a problem with pride. Husbands, if we're looking down on our wives, that that means that we have this attitude of superiority. It's a problem with our pride. Do you often skip reading your Bible? Again, it's a sign of your pride. You think you can run ahead and you have all the wisdom and all of the tools and all of the strength that you need on your own and you don't need to abide in God's presence and read His Word and be filled with His Spirit in order to live through the day. It's a sign of our pride that we just run past our Bibles. Do we spend very little time in prayer? It's a sign of our pride. We don't depend on God in prayer. We don't ask for His help because we think we're strong enough to do the job on our own. Can you not remember the last time you fasted a meal? That could be an indication of pride. Uh, A quotation here again from Robert Murray McShane. The subject of fasting was spoken upon in the meeting. He had gone to a a Bible study. The, The subject of fasting was spoken upon. Felt exceedingly in my own spirit how little we feel real grief on account of sin before God. Or we would often lose our appetite for food. When parents lose a child, they often do not taste a bit from morning to night out of pure grief. Should we not mourn as for an only child? How little of the spire of grace and supplication, I'm sorry, how little of the spirit of grace and supplication we have then? When was the last time you just lost your appetite and felt driven to fast and pray because you needed God's help? You needed to repent of your sin and and you were in big trouble and, and you needed God's help. You say, man, I can't remember the last time I fasted. I can't remember any of those things. I can't remember even feeling guilt or grief or the weight of my sin. That's a sign of our pride. Do you stop eating when God says to stop? If you don't, that's a sign of your pride. Are you conceited or vain? And lastly, do you invent your own ways of worshiping God? Remember the story of Cain and Abel? All the way back at the beginning of the Bible, what was Cain's infraction? Well, he, he, he imagined or created his own way to approach and worship God. God had made it very clear that if, if there's going to be forgiveness of sins, there must be a sacrifice. And that's why Abel sacrificed 
a lamb. But Cain came before God with a basket of fruit. And he said, this should be good enough. This should be good enough. This is my idea. God should accept me because of what I have done. And God said, Cain, I cannot accept that offering. That is not the way to worship me. You must worship me in the way that I have called you to worship me. These are all all signs of our pride. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising, that is, for the judgment of many in Israel. He is a sign that will be rejected. People in their pride would not receive his message and they would reject him and crucify him. He is appointed as a judge and as a sign so that many, the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed so that all of our hearts would be exposed before God. Brothers and sisters, we have all sinned against God this week. And when we did, we were telling him that our ways are higher than his ways. In our pride, we threw him behind us to get our hands on something that we wanted more than him in that moment. We treated him as if we could care less about him. And what was his response? What is God's response to our pride? What is God's response to these people who opposed the sign that God sent? Did God strike them down in his wrath and his anger? No, God's response was grace. God's response was to send his only son, born of the Virgin Mary, to keep the promises that he made long ago, to send his son to be born and laid in a manger. A sign of his humility. This is what's coming. This child is uh, not coming to be exalted at this point in time. He's coming to be humiliated. That was God's response to our sin. That was God's response to the people's sin in the Bible who opposed the sign that he sent to give his son as a humble sacrifice, as an offering. He would be rejected and despised and hammered to a cross of wood while God poured down his wrath on him so that we could be forgiven. This is good news. This is good news. This is wonderful news. This is glorious news. Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Look back at chapter one. Verse 76. We studied this last week, but Zechariah, speaking of his son, John the Baptist, said... And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. So once again, we see the identity of Christ there. He is the Lord. And and John the Baptist would go before the Lord to prepare the way, to prepare people for his coming. Verse 77, 
to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Why did God forgive our sins, brothers and sisters? Because of his tender mercy. Because of his tender mercy. That's the only reason. If it wasn't for his tender mercy, his justice would be swift against us. Because of the tender mercy of our God and because of his tender mercy, look at what it says in verse 78. The sunrise shall visit us from on high. So it's like we're living in darkness, but the sun is going to come up. The light is going to dawn once again to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Verse 14 of chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. You were at war with God. You had turmoil in your soul. But Jesus came so that you could have peace because of the tender mercies of God. This is good news. If you're a sinner. If you're not a sinner and you don't need the grace of God, then this story can just be a a lawn ornament to you. And it doesn't really matter. And it doesn't have a lot of weight. And it doesn't have a lot of significance. And it won't change your life. And you won't humble yourself before this righteous, holy judge. But if you realize the weight of what this is saying, it's a familiar story. We hear it. All the time, you hear it on the radio even right now. You hear it in Christmas plays that you go to. We have to get down past the, the uh, sentimental American picture of Christmas and get down to the heart of the matter. Jesus came to save us. He's a savior. He's the only one who could save us, so he is the Lord. Only God could save us. And he did that for us. So now all the sin of pride in our hearts, all the things that we've spoken against God and against our brothers and sisters, against our husbands, our wives, our children, against the lost, all of the sins that we have committed can be washed away. Can be washed away. And that is just such good news. It's good news for me. I needed that. I needed to hear that this week. I needed to hear that. Yes, Samuel, you have sinned. Yes, you have hurt um, people who are dear to you in your relationships and all of those things. But God can forgive that sin. He can wash your sins away. This is unplanned, but I'm going to go ahead and close with Zechariah. Go ahead and turn there with me. The book of Zechariah. This is the the picture that God just brought to my mind for us. Zechariah chapter 3. says then then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him 
And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand picked from the, plucked from the fire? Now look at Joshua, because this is a picture of you and me here. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And that's a, that's a really uh, tame way of saying what the Hebrew says there. The, the idea there in the Hebrew is that it is, he's just covered with, with the filthiest of clothes, as if the, the clothes had been um, trampled in animal excrement. And now he's just covered in these filthy rags. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. So God took away the the filthy garments, which is a symbol of his sin. And God took away those unclean things and he clothed them with pure uh, vestments. I really want to look at one more, even though I told you that was the last one. Can I read you one more? All right, a little bit of grace, a little bit of grace. Come on. All right, Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. chapter should be called the great invitation from God. Come everyone who thirsts. Isaiah 55 verse 1. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear to me and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the people as a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. And I do believe that's he's talking about the Messiah there, that he will call a nation and people will come to him, the Holy One of Israel. Verse six, seek the Lord while he may be found, Central Baptist. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. There's the tender mercies of our God. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon you. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God promises forgiveness to us today because of Jesus who came. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we close today with a picture of a priest who was clothed in filthy garments. And he was being accused by Satan of all of the ways that he had broken the law, all of the ways that he had fallen short, 
all of the sin that he had committed against God. But the Lord said to Satan, I rebuke you. And he forgave the iniquity of the high priests or of Joshua the priests. And he gave him clean clothes to wear. Isaiah 55, Lord, come. All you who are thirsty, all of you who are hungry, come to the waters. God, if there's anyone today who is just burdened by iniquity and sin and a past of regret, remorse and failure, God, I pray that today the chains would be broken, the sunrise would shine on them from on high and the prison doors would be opened and they would repent and trust in you and no longer oppose the sign that was given. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this Christmas time. God, it is a wonderful time of the year and I pray that we will be rejoicing in you for giving your son for us, the Passover lamb. We trust in him for salvation and through the trials. We proclaim his name to others, God, and we repent of our pride that keeps us uh, distant from you and hardens our hearts. We repent of that. Take us by the hand today, Lord, and lead us through the rest of the day and through this week and bring us back next week to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. All this we ask in Jesus' name, amen.